Well, hello and welcome to Hardy Party of Five and a Half. Welcome. Rebecca, I have a little friend with me today. Who is that? This is Jim Sunberg. It's a bobblehead. It's a bobblehead. It's not actually Jim yet. But he <laughs> yet? Will... It's going to turn into Jim? Well, no, we're about to talk to Jim. Oh, okay. So we've had this in our house for a while, mm-hmm. so I wanted to present it today. That's right. As an offering to Jim. <laughs> he and... probably has a hundred thousand of it. Yeah, and to get his reaction on how well they did here with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was number 10 for the Rangers from like 74 to 89 mm-hmm. with a little stop in Kansas City to win a World Series. I mean, who would which stop we forgive to win him. the World Series? Yeah, we forgive him for that. <laughs> but he did come back to Texas. Right. I and... wish the Rangers would stop and win a World Series. <laughs> one day. One day, Rebecca. Maybe. In a lifetime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we, don't, we like most sports, but we really yeah. like baseball. Yeah, we're baseball fans. We're Ranger fans. Right. So what's the sport you really don't like? I think golf is probably the one I liked it. I got into it in high school and college. I used to play with buddies. That mm-hmm. was kind of our thing to do. Yeah. But I realized in the midst of that, that I'm not very good at this mm-hmm. and I don't want to spend the time or the money. We would go to little, like a lot of the times, nine hole golf courses, like cheaper golf courses. Yeah. But if you really want to get good and serious, you have to put a lot of time in it. You have to get the right equipment. You have to go to the nice golf courses and you have to dress better it's it's yeah you have to wear just, a collar you're just making me angry yeah i don't care for golf well, I, I i don't mind like watching golf when it gets like to maybe some important part of like the however long they're there what do you, do you call them matches what do you call them they're not matches well tournaments oh yeah yeah a tournament so when you're that's watching, how much we know about golf yeah. <laughs> when you're watching that like at the very end i'm like okay i'll watch the very end but honestly that's the thing it has a dress code you can't walk on a golf course in a t-shirt and I don't know. I'm just, I, I can't, it, I'm not good at it either. It, yeah. Like you said, it's expensive. And I realized I didn't want to invest anymore in it when I just really honestly stink at putt-putt. So I knew there was no hope for me on my short game. So I might as well just like. We do enjoy, we enjoy top golf now. Because you can just hit it as hard as you want and you're eating donuts filled with chocolate. That's what I enjoy about yeah. top golf because I stink at the ball hitting part. You know what they need? A top golf with slow pitch softballs. But they'd have to come out of the air. So we need a top soft top soft for softball top soft yeah instead of top but you can also have baseball too it'd oh, be top okay. ball top ball yeah hmm. but yeah but think about where would they have the pitching machine come from i don't know unless it was coming really fast really off or if it just it could pop up from <gasps> the bottom it could pop oh up my gosh they could do that they have to- they have kid toys that do that yeah <gasps> But you could do it on a bigger professional scale. And you just know, it gets up. a little tricky about this is when you is, foul it off or miss you it. foul it off. Yeah. So, somebody's going to get hurt. There's going to have to be a gutter system that clears the it balls. Won't be, I won't be sitting there near as relaxing my chocolate filled donut holes. I can promise you that. I'll That's be right. on my guard. Everybody's <laughs> got face masks or base it back there. But this is a good idea, though. It's a yeah, idea. We're going to have to work on that. I like it um so let's we've segued a little bit let's i know get that's right. here. okay sorry all right we're <laughs> back to our interview today right well what we were thinking being ranger fans and baseball fans mm-hmm. and we wanted to do something with the rangers because it's their 50th anniversary of being in texas mm. so one of the first people we reached out to was the great jim sunberg because if you look at his career he started in 74 he was with the team as a player and as a broadcaster. And then 
he was on he was in the executive team when they went to the World Series. Mm-hmm. So from 74 to 2014, Jim Sundberg's been associated with this team in one way or the other. That's right. So we're like, who best to talk about the Rangers than a person that's lived through the history of the that's Rangers? That's right. He's like the quintessential Texas Ranger. He really is. Player. And he's the nicest guy you'll ever meet. He really is super nice. Oh, yes. It was like talking to a good friend. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. So we hope you enjoy this interview with Jim Sundberg as much as we did. Mr. Jim Sundberg, we thank you so much for joining us on Hardy Party of Five and a Half. I know Scott's fanning out a little bit. I am. One of my favorites. Yeah. And uh, so we'll we'll get right to asking you all the questions everybody wants to know. Okay. Sure. I have one question that I haven't told you yet. I'm wondering, who is this guy? Uh, he's, <laughs> he's a little punchy and overweight and a little older. Yeah, the, yeah. They, why did they make you so heavy set? I don't know. I don't know why they did that. I guess. Yeah. Uh, I don't well, know. Your hair's dark. No so my know. hair's dark. Your and hair's dark. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. You know, you've made it when you're a bobblehead, though. You know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know it. Uh, it was fun. Yeah. All, all the kids, all my grandkids have them. I actually had another bobblehead done uh, years ago, and I'm, I'm looking at it now. It's in a squat with a catcher's mask and and gear and uh, glove, and the glove breaks off easy. So all of all the all the the uh, bobbleheads that my my grandkids have have a broken hand. <laughs> <laughs> well, I noticed on those the hands come off and the bats come off. If they're if they're holding a bat, the bats get broken all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> okay, be with you all. Good to see you. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you. you so much. We appreciate we appreciate it. <laughs> okay, your career. When you really look at it, your career spans pretty much the Rangers' history. Mm-hmm. Because they came to Texas in '72, you became the catcher in '74. So, and then you were on the executive team all the way to like 2014, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it's pretty much yeah. the whole history of the Rangers. So I want to start out by just asking you, okay, you you signed with the Rangers. What's it like taking your family to Texas? You had a really young family then. Yeah. And weren't you named the starting catcher just to begin the season? Well, uh, Billy Martin had intended to make me the starting catcher, and I didn't catch the very first game. I actually caught the the second game, which Ferguson Jenkins threw. But uh, in bringing the family to Texas, I thought, well, there's going to be tumbleweeds, and uh, (laughs) it's going to be flat. I I had no idea that East Texas would be pine country and that there was a hill country and and that it really has a a lot of everything. But – it was uh, a dream come true being uh, given the opportunity to play big league baseball, something that I remember wanting to do since I was probably about five. I think I started uh-huh. thinking about that when I was five years of age. And so coming to uh, Texas uh, with my wife and young baby were was an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's Billy Martin like? I'm, I'm always curious. He, when you see him on TV, he's fiery and just, he seems like he hates the world. I think he's so competitive <laughs> that that just comes out. So what is he like as a person? 
Well, he, he was tough. He, he was pretty rough. He, he liked to fight. Um, we were in uh, the year and a half that he was manager when I was with the Rangers, that we were in a lot of fights you know, on the field. I mean, there was we were in 10 cent beer night uh, mm. back in 74. So it, it there, there was um, he was he was an angry guy and uh, we played well for him that first year. But in the second year, uh, things kind of turned uh, south, and uh, he uh, started acting up uh, really weird. And he'd come to the ballpark under the influence, and oh wow, and and and, uh, and in in a uniform during the game, and so it was uh, it got kind of out of control, and they they let him go. Yeah, he's like a brilliant baseball mind, but he just had a lot of things he needed to to figure out. It sounds like. Yeah, it, it was. He was brilliant. He he actually did really well. Um, every time, every place he went to, there was this early uh, success, and then things would start to go south. And uh, but he he uh, uh, but at one time I would have done anything for him that first year, and then things really kind of turned and and went wrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in 1977, you caught Burt Blylevin's <clears throat> no hitter. Like, talk us through the process of calling such a special game. What's that like? So much pressure, I would think. Well, Burt, uh, Burt actually had been on the disabled list and came off to pitch that game. And uh, he, uh, without knowing about it until after the game, he actually re-injured his groin in the in the seventh inning. Oh, oh wow! <clears throat> and would go on the disabled list after the game, and then be and then be uh, traded after the season was over with, and so he would throw a no hitter and then never be in a Ranger uniform again. But oh my god! Wow! <clears throat> in those last, his curveball was so good that all we threw really the last three innings were curveballs. I mean, they knew it was coming. Here it comes! Get ready! And they just couldn't hit it. They couldn't get it in the air. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, left-handed hitters. We would bunch the infield to pull because we figured if anything, they're going to pull the, uh, the they're going to pull the ball, but they're not going to get it up into the air mm-hmm. at all because it was it had a hard bite to it. And uh, sure enough, that was the case, and and it was exciting. You you sit there and it can be difficult. I've had a number of uh, pitchers with, with no hitters late in the game in the ninth inning. And guys are that throw three different pitches a little more difficult. But at that stage with Bert, we were just throwing curveballs wow. one after one after another. Yeah. Wow. So what about you? Like, do you feel the pressure back there? Is <clears throat> kind of everybody getting intense, or does everybody try to be play it cool? You're trying to just keep him calm and well, everybody plays it cool. You know, no one says anything. Hey, uh, you got a no hitter going, Bert. <laughs> Nobody says Everyone it. Comes in the dugout. It's it's like silence, and uh, uh, and and so you you just kind of stay cool. And um, I'm trying to remember. I think that was the first close no hitter. No, actually, in my first major league game, Ferguson Jenkins threw a one hitter. But the hit happened in about the fourth or fifth inning. But uh, but it was the first late inning no hitter potential that I had, and uh, and it was uh, exciting, exhilarating. And then when it finally happened, you know, everybody goes nuts. <laughs> well, crazy. and I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that probably a lot of people say, but I was at <laughs> seventh no hitter 
And that's that's the only no hitter I've seen in person. And it was crazy. It was awesome. Mm -hmm. Like it was just this big release when it finally happened. And I there was this really like the oldest man I'd ever seen was sitting next to me. And I just hugged him like he was my dad. <laughs> it was just so exciting to be there. And I can imagine for the players that are in the middle of doing that, it's just it's even better. Yeah. To savor that. Yeah. And um, and the, the thing is about Nolan is uh, uh, Nolan through uh 42 two hitters or less that's wow. crazy it, it's it's actually crazy and uh to have thrown i was broadcasting at the time he threw his seventh no hitter i broadcasted his sixth no hitter uh in oakland and uh that's a that's a, a little different feel from it being in the in the booth but i think whenever nolan uh was getting his curveball over for strikes, you knew it's going to be uh, it's going to be rough. It's going to be tough because his fastball was really good, and uh, the the saying was as you faced him as a hitter, uh, if if he wasn't throwing his curveball over for a strike, you just wait and, and try to get 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 a fastball. And uh, but if he was throwing his curveball over, you couldn't do that. You had to you had to try to go after it as well. So anytime he was getting his breaking pitch over, it was lights out. Yeah. So is he one of the hardest that you faced as a hitter? Who are some of the hardest pitchers that gave you trouble? Well, he was. I mean, there 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 were the normal ones. Clemens was and and Jim Palmer, but uh there was a guy named Mark Parrott, uh kind of a no-name pitcher who pitched for Seattle for a number of years that I I don't know if I ever hit the ball past pitcher's mouth. <laughs> I don't know if I ever got it past pitcher. What did he do that just messed you up? What was he it about kept, him? He kept throwing the ball in my hands. He just kept sinking it on my hands and wouldn't do anything differently and just kept burying it uh, on the inside part of the plate. And I just could not get the head of the bat out on him. <laughs> and uh, he, he may not even know that he was, in my mind, the toughest pitcher but uh, that I faced, but, uh, but, but he was, he was, he was pretty, he was pretty tough on me. Yeah. Well, and just speaking of the old, like the, the way it was to pitch back then y'all pitched inside more and there was more plunkings than now. Oh yeah. What was that philosophy like for y'all? I mean, you weren't trying to hurt anybody, but you were just trying to claim the inside of that plate, right? Yeah. I, I didn't want anybody hurt when, when we were going to do it, we were basically protecting our own hitters. If, if one of our own hitters got hit, then um, uh, and it started off with Billy Martin. Billy Martin was was one of the worst for for hitting the other team, and uh, and I would just really tell the pitcher, I said, you know, just put it in his ribs. Don't don't throw it above the weight, above his his neck. Don't throw it in his head. Mm -hmm. Just try to put it, you know, in in some meaty part of his body and. Uh, because I, <clears throat> when I was in the minor leagues, I hit fifth, uh, behind a guy that hit a bunch of home runs. And, you know, back then, if a guy hit a home run, the next guy would get hit. Oh yeah, definitely. It was just notorious and it was a given. And, uh, and so, uh, uh, Tom Robson was his name and he, he hit like 40 home runs that season in double a ball. And I got plucked all the time. I didn't like, so I got to the big leagues. I didn't like the <laughs> plucking idea. I'm thinking like, I didn't hit it. He hit it. Yeah. <laughs> hit the guy that hit it. Don't hit the guy that hit the thing. Yeah. yeah. You're just an innocent bystander. Yeah. I yeah. mean, 
darn it. I mean, stop. I mean, gosh, I didn't do anything to hurt you. <laughs> uh, oh, goodness. <laughs> okay. So uh, you've called a bunch of Hall of Famers. We've talked a little bit about Nolan. So who was like, who had the best stuff that you've caught? Like Hall of Famer or not? Like you, your hardest pitcher was someone a lot of us hadn't heard of. Who was the guy that you caught that you thought had the best stuff? Well, the 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 best pitcher that I that I caught, I think, is Ferguson Jenkins. Fergie had amazing control. He had three pitches he could get over for strikes, and he could throw them at any any location at any time. And he had great command of it. Uh, he was easy to work with. Uh, it, 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 he was just an amazing uh, pitcher. You know, Nolan had the Nolan had a great fastball curveball combination. Burt Blylevin had a great fastball curveball combination. Jim Bibby threw hard. Probably the best fastball I caught was Brett Saberhagen with Kansas oh, really? City. Okay. Well, it's kind of an accelerator. It would it would give the impression that it would kind of jump a little bit, mm-hmm. and uh, at the end, and guys would be constantly behind it, and it would be the fifth inning before they could actually try to time it a little bit. And then we started throwing his change up uh, more consistently, and it would it would get him off of his uh, off of the fastball again. So, but um, Don Sutton had a really good breaking pitch. Uh, he had a really good sandpaper ball. He threw it. He he threw it. He, he had a sandpaper on his finger, and he would use. It. <laughs> We're learning all the tricks now. <laughs> he would use it to cut the, the to abrase the ball a little bit. And, uh, and so it was, uh, uh, it was a very effective pitch. Was there anybody that you were just like, you, you know, if you don't catch it right in that pocket, it, it can hurt. Is there anybody that just like, you just wanted to take your glove off and shake your hand, but you tried to act like it didn't hurt or. Well, yeah, that's a good question. I, Kevin Brown was through what they call the heavy, a heavy ball mm-hmm. uh, and it hurt to catch it. I had just had shoulder surgery to my left shoulder my catching side, the uh, the year that uh, the off season of the next year, I caught him, and and when I when his pitches came in, it would really hurt. Mm-hmm. It would really hurt my shoulder, and I, um, it took a year before my shoulder really uh, gained its strength back. Wow. But uh, but I had to play for a year with a, a shoulder that occasionally hurt, especially when catching Kevin Brown because. Uh, of the, that heavy pitch that he threw, but generally you catch, you learn to catch the ball in the same spot all the time, unless you're, you're catching Charlie Huff. And then you don't really, you don't really catch a knuckleball or you kind of wrestle the ball to the ground and and pick it up and then throw it back. Wrestle it down and, and hopefully it stays close to you. (laughs) And then you you throw it back. Oh, that's, that's hilarious. Here, just a second. Yeah. So what are your, what are your most memorable, like as a Texas Ranger? I mean, we're big Ranger fans. We've been here for quite some time. What are your most like memorable, you know, things as a Texas Ranger that you can mm-hmm. recall? Well, <clears throat> my first game as a Texas Ranger was really the most memorable one. And that was the, uh, uh, the, the one hitter by Fergie, we were playing the Oakland A's and the A's in 74 
would be the world champions for the third year in a row. They were they won 72, 3, and 4, and we're we're opening up against Oakland and Fergie's pitching. It's my first major league game, and I'm kind of numb. I um I lost the feel of the ball. I couldn't normally everybody, every player will, will feel the ball. You can you can kind of rub your fingers together and you you feel the the sense of the ball. And I lost my sense of, of the feel. I was so uh, nervous, and um, but Fergie, uh, Fergie ended up throwing a one hitter. I got a, a couple of hits and threw a guy out, and so that was. Uh, and, and I had grown up watching Fergie pitch for the Cubs when I, as a kid, I, I saw him throw a lot of games in Wrigley Field, and and so to catch him my first major league game that was memorable, and then ten cent bear night, ten cent bear night in Cleveland was. I mean, it was a it was it was a madhouse. Uh, normally, Cleveland would have six to seven thousand people at the game, and that night they had I think thirty or thirty five thousand. Mm. But they didn't increase their security, and so they had they had people coming out on the field uh, every game, every inning, uh, in between every inning. Uh, th- there were security police running down the guys trying to run down oh, goodness. people that had come on the field. I was in the on-deck circle in the sixth inning, and and the, I just happened to be – I was kind of paranoid. I had to be looking around. I saw the core of my eye, something launched in my direction, and someone had threw a, a bottle from the upper deck, landed about six feet away. Oh, man. And, wow. uh, and, and then when the fight broke out in the ninth inning, it was a game that we were going to lose. And when the game uh, broke out, uh, when the guy came out of the stands and started messing with Jeff Burrell's, our team <clears throat> took off to the outfield. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a mess out there. And, and, and fortunately, Cleveland came, the Cleveland Indian players came to our rescue and, and they really helped us get back to the dugout because the whole team was in right field because that's where the commotion started. But uh, it was a it was a wild it was a wild party. Goodness, <laughs> one of the many reasons they don't allow glass in stadiums anymore. I'm sure. Oh yeah, <laughs> that is absolutely crazy. It is. It really was. So in '85, you were unfortunately traded Kansas City for us as fans, <laughs> not for you, <laughs> because you go to a team that ends up winning the World Series that year. So take us through what the emotions, I mean, you've, you've worked so hard for so long in a sport. What's it like to win everything? Well, uh, I'll take you through the, the day of the seventh game of, of the world series. We had, we had come, we, we were down three games to one and came back to tie it in the sixth game. And uh, then in the seventh game, I, we, I was at home and, and you know, when you're, you're, you're sitting going, Oh my gosh! This is this is what I've always wanted to be a part of is is a seventh game of the World Series and win it. And uh, I can remember sitting in school, grade school, thinking about playing in in the World Series someday. And so here here the opportunity to play is coming up. And and I was uh, probably the most jittery of of my entire career during the day of the seventh game. And so Jen and I took we had a lot of family at the house. So Jen and I took the kids and we went to one of the parks in Kansas City and tried to relax a little bit. And um, she had said to me, uh, "Jim, where are you?" I was I was kind of in my head and I wasn't paying much attention. 
And I said, you know, I, I think this game is going to be a blowout, but I don't know who's going to win. But I, I, I have a sense it's, it's going to be a, a blowout game. And uh, and then we got to the seventh game. Brett Saberhagen was pitching, who had been our our key our marquee pitcher uh, all year. And after the first inning, I told Dick Hauser, I said, if we score one run tonight, we'll win this ball game. Dick Hauser, our manager. And uh, that's how good Brett was that that night starting off. And then by the 11th inning, we were, we, I mean, the fifth inning, we were up 11 to nothing. You're right and, about the blowout. And and that's the way the game would end. It, wow. it would end uh, 11 to nothing. And the last four innings was probably the, the, the most uh, fun four innings that I've ever played in, in a major league game. And just, mm-hmm. you knew the, you know, the, the victory was ours. The win was in, is in our corner and, and they weren't going to take the game away from us. And um, we were going up into the locker room, watching the, the network set up for the, the post game celebration. And, and we were, we were kind of giggling and laughing and, and then, come back into the dugout and, and be serious again. And, and um, so, uh, so it was a, it was an amazing, uh, it was an amazing thing to experience and, uh, and, and yeah. to win it all was uh, terrific. Yeah. That's well, so it's cool. so hard just in any sport, but I mean, in you as a catcher, it's, it's hard, it's hard work every day. And to put that much work in and know that you won and what's cool is you had that four innings to just kind of enjoy the whole thing. It wasn't like a nail biter where you didn't know till the end. Mm-hmm. Like y'all could kind of right. savor like all this work we had done to get there. It was, it, it was very unique for a championship game because um, I'm not sure there's ever been a victory uh, that size for a seventh game. Uh, there, there may have been, but I haven't in recent history. I, I don't remember uh like that but and when they're close it's just nail biter but but i i was having these visions of uh playing little league baseball and i was kind of thinking back through my uh career and you know you got there's you start thinking about things that you normally don't think about because of the lead and um uh so it was uh to savor that Mm-hmm. to enjoy it was uh was really cool mm, that's cool okay on a side note i have to ask you about someone Rebecca's <laughs> yeah. favorite player as a kid was george brett so what's uh-huh. your overall scattering report on george i grew up in kansas yeah. that's the first actually uh-huh. i went to yeah. so yeah oh uh, he's the best hitter that i that i've ever played with he wow. uh um he, he uh, in in 1985, in the year we won the World Series, he hit 400 for two months. I remember and, that, uh, and it was it's a it's a time I'll never forget because when you think about it, he hit in the, in the the order of the lineup that that got up four or five times a game. If mm-hmm. if you were scoring some runs that game, you probably got up five times, which means he got two hits. You're getting two hits a game for for two months. And if he didn't get a hit one game, then he would get four the next night. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but he hit 400. And uh, when, when I played against him, uh, I used to try to, to figure up different ways of, of uh, getting guys out. And I try to talk to him. Well, it didn't even bother him. In fact, we actually had an umpire tell us to shut up one time. <laughs> we were talking as the pitch was coming in. And he's facing the hitter talking. I mean, the pitcher talking, and I'm 
I'm trying to catch it and we're talking and, and uh, nothing really rattled him. Uh, he, he was, uh, he was the type of hitter that if you needed the inning to start off with a double, he could either get a single and steal the base or he'd, he'd hit a double. He could hit a home run. He could drive in a run mm-hmm. from third base with less than two outs. He could get the runner over to third if you needed it. So he was, he was always a, he was a great situational hitter too. <laughs> so he, he, that's the, that's the report on him, Rebecca. That's great. <laughs> My, you know, we got, we actually got married on a softball field. You probably don't know this, Jim. Oh, We got married at home plate at Randall Mill Park in North oh, Wow. Yeah. On the green fields at the yeah. time it was the green wow. Yeah. And so we still play co-ed together on Friday nights. Occasionally I catch most of the time I play first, but um, I love chatting with the batters. That's like my favorite thing. Yeah. Like, that's like the whole, that's like where you get to like meet all of them. We just have all this awesome fun conversation. You're either going to build some like bonds or you're going to make some enemies or whatever it's going to be. It's just going to be a fun time back there. So I always like catching yeah, it, it was- a workout. It is a straight workout, but it is tough, especially especially back when we didn't have a closed roof like we do today. It was oh, yeah. hot. For it was sure. hot in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. And, um, but it is a fun position. Uh, you get to see the whole field. You get to to get up close against the batters. And yeah. I remember the first time Hank Aaron came to the plate, and uh, I I was caught between trying to get him out and asking for an autograph. <laughs> so. And so it was uh, not an easy, uh, it, it's not an easy position, but it's very fulfilling position. Yeah. Right. Do you remember if he got a hit or not? I don't even remember. Uh, okay. <clears throat> I don't so did remember. You, did you talk a lot to other batters or did you just pick your times when you did? I did. I, especially the guys that I, that were once teammates. Yeah. I would talk to. And then, then I try to mess with some of the guys. And, and when I mean mess, I would, uh, get a handful of dirt and right when the pitch is getting ready to come in, I would throw the dirt on their feet. <laughs> and, uh, and so, I'm going to try that. Yeah. Try that on Friday. They, they didn't appreciate that very much. They didn't like that. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it's not 10 cent beer night at the Sampo. That's though. right. Have trouble. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I'm going to try that on, uh, on our next co-ed game. <laughs> Okay, so in the 2000s, you come back to Texas. You're now on the senior executive team, and the Rangers finally get to go to the World Series in 2010, 2011. What was it like being on that side of the coin? You're not now on the field. You're in a different role, but your team's finally there. I was actually more nervous. Right. Um, I was actually like you can't more do nervous. anything about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just have to sit there, and uh, there, there was a good feel – that we had the momentum and we had the club to do it. And, um, and, but it was really more nerve wracking, uh, to be in, in that position. And, um, you, uh, as Scott was saying, you're, you, you, you are kind of out of having anything to do with the game. And, and so, uh, it's, it's really nerve wracking and, and then the eleventh uh, in in eleven the uh, the game that we had in the bag twice. Yeah, I know. And then <laughs> let it get by. That was awful. Yeah, it yeah. was. It was oh, awful. so close. Scott, so close. Scott, Scott doesn't like to talk about it. <laughs> Do, are you when you're watching like the Rangers when you're in the this when you're now in a different role? Are you? find yourself being like watching the catcher thinking of things you would have done different or things he should do different. Are you, are you just trying to stay 
with the whole team watching that? Are you kind of super highly focused on on the catcher? You mean today? No, like back well, then, we do, yeah. Back then, no, I we I was actually uh, I actually got on Twitter uh, in a, in ten and started, someone told me to get on Twitter and I got uh, and I started that uh, back in ten. And I would start making predictions. Uh, I would uh, uh, tweet a, a prediction or something. It would come true, and, and people would go nuts. And, uh, I can remember calling a, a home run for Josh Hamilton one time and calling a home run for Nelson Cruz. And um, uh, so it was, uh, you know, it was pretty exciting. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, so you're known as the Iron Man at catcher. I'm going to give people some stats here. Yeah. In your 10 years with the Rangers, you averaged 140 games a season, and you still hold the record, the American League record, for games caught in a season, 155. And you coined the phrase, good things happen when you keep showing up. Hmm. So what for you, what was the benefit of just having that work ethic? Well, I, my, my dad was amazing. He, he, uh, we didn't have a, a lot growing up. He was a letter carrier and then he drove the school bus, but he, uh, being a letter, being a mailman, he, I, there were times when there would be eight or 12 inches of snow on the ground and he would actually walk to work. He was a guy that, that, uh, was at work. He was responsible and dedicated, uh, uh when he retired from the postal service, he had over 14 months of sick leave built up uh, for, from all the years. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. You, you can't even do that. You can't even do that today. No, you can't. They won't, and, and they won't let you uh, build up days. But uh, he, uh, you know, he had a he had a fear of of um, of not being able to work and not provide for the family and. Uh, and so there, he had a strong work ethic, and and uh, I think I picked up on that. I, there were times where I didn't feel good, but you play. There are times where uh, you're uh, actually hurting, and and you play. And sometimes you're playing with injuries, and and you continue to play. And and uh, and so I, unfortunately, uh, I, I never was on the disabled list until my 11th year in the big leagues. When I left and went to Milwaukee, I hurt my back and was on the disabled list. Uh, really the, the only time in my career. And so uh, it was, uh, you just learn to, to, to go, to get after it. And, and the whole concept of showing up is not passive. Basically. I mean, if you, if, if someone keeps showing up, you, you outstay most of your competitors because most people don't hang around and show up. They they eventually stop. But um, but showing up is is uh, is a a positive term for for being um, all in. Yeah, mm. for sure. And your generation and your dad's generation, they y'all just have a different kind of grit than some yeah. future generations. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's true because when I was in the front office, I would go down uh, to the locker room during the game, or before the game, and into the training room because I knew the the trainers and would sit in there and kind of shoot the bull. and And there would be players that would come in. I remember one player coming in one time saying that his neck was hurting because he slept wrong on it, and he was trying to take himself out of the lineup. And I'm thinking, like, uh, uh, you know, this is. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> this is really this is really too much. Your neck is got a little kink in it. Then then go get it out. And yeah. Put, put some heat play, on it. You probably get it out if you play. Yeah, if you played. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it, it was. There, there's a likelihood, and not only, uh, <clears throat> but the the uh, the, the uh, agents are actually uh, got into the mix. That they're calling the people and telling that the their player, his player, can't play that night. Oh wow! Mm -hmm. Of that nature. So the agents have gotten involved. Yeah. Process a player doesn't even feel like he can he can actually uh, come in and and tell somebody that he, he can't play that night. So yeah. uh, it's a different ball game that translates to art. We coach my husband. And I have, but my, this last season, my son and I coached a little league team <clears> together <throat> and the catcher would go down. He'd get, you know, they're 12 you, the catcher would go down and they all think I'm the one that should go out there and talk to them because I guess, cause I'm a female and maybe a little more nurturing, which is very far from <laughs> yeah. It's the total opposite with it's you. It's the exact opposite. Yeah. I walk out there. I'm like, can you catch or not? Like, do I need to put someone else in? Are you bleed? You know, I raised three boys. I'm not dealing with you. <laughs> you know, either catch or get off the field. I got other things to do here. Uh, and, I'm, and I turn around. I look at the other coaches. I'm like, I don't know why y'all send me. I'm not good out here. I'm terrible at this. Um, but then, you know, the, the role of the manager is the role of the parents in Little League. Because they're yes. the ones that say, my kids, you know, my kids has a hangnail and can't play. So yeah. It, yeah. it's this generation we've, we've well, yeah. watching players now, who do you see as like the, is there somebody that stands out like the old school grinder kind of guy that you see now? Mm. Anybody like that? Uh, you know, nothing, no one comes to mind, Robbie. In terms of the catchers, uh, the guy in uh, Molina in, in St. Louis uh, is is a pretty good player has been for a number of years mm -hmm. and um you know we had ripton for for a long time who who took mm -hmm. it out there every night and uh and played uh no matter what but you know per, uh, i really don't um watch that much baseball anymore i, I don't watch it on tv I, I go to the game a couple times a year i do watch box scores i've always from from very little uh, i've always waited for the newspaper to come so and this is before games were on tv obviously and so you you had to get the newspaper to find out what was going on and that's where i get my information well i <laughs> I, I have an app on my phone now and and i i basically go through and look at box scores and see what yeah. guys are doing but i i do that more than than anything it's it's yeah. not that I'm disconnected. Uh, it's not that I'm disconnected from baseball. I just don't. I just don't watch as much of it anymore. You're right. Yeah. Okay. That is so funny because when I was a kid, I, I loved opening the box scores and I would find my favorite players. It's before the web and all that. Mm -hmm. And I would go through and just see how all my favorite players did the the night before. <laughs> so I did that same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's fun to. And then, you know, kind of track what they're hitting. I'm a tracker, so I track what they're hitting and mm -hmm. uh, I kind of follow follow that and see what they're doing. I looked actually, I looked up what how many home runs Pujols has uh, because I was watching the Sports Center today and, and um, they were talking about him. Well, he's got six more to go to get to, I think, 600. I think that's, I think that's what it is. I don't think it's I think maybe, he's 700, didn't he? 700. Yeah, 700. Six yeah. yeah, six more to go to get to 700 he's got a month to do it and uh we'll see if he does but i uh, so i kind of track certain things uh garcia 
uh, was uh, had a hitting streak going for the Rangers here for, mm-hmm. for a while. So I was kind of watching that and, and following that. And, and uh, so I'll do those little things. But uh, uh, watching a game, I, mean, I took the family out the other day and we stayed three innings before, <laughs> I, asked, before I asked anybody if they were ready to go. <laughs> That's and so um anyway but uh it's it's um uh, and, and it's different uh you know and it it helps when you know somebody i i i know i've known players for years until recently mm-hmm. and uh actually knew them and so when you know them you, there's a tendency to, to root for them. I, I still follow nelson cruz uh, and, um, and when you know, the guys, they're easier to, to, mm-hmm. to, uh, follow. And, and I don't know anybody on the Ranger club. I mean, I don't, right. it's been a total but, turnover. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It, it really so, has been. Yeah. One of the, I don't know if you've heard of this guy that is playing 162 games of catch. Have you heard of this guy? No. He's, he's gone around the last year and played 162 games of catch with different people. He started with his daughter and he wanted to end with his dad, but somewhere along the way, he sent a message to, he's a Yankees fan. Uh, we forgive him. Yeah. Uh, he, and he sent a, he lives in Philly. I think he sent a message to Mets and, and Yankees and they ended up letting him come out his 163rd game of catch. He added one because Aaron Judd, right. When Aaron Judd wanted to play with him. So anyways, he kind of sparked us to have a conversation of like, if you could play catch with five people and maybe in that process, tell them like what they've meant to you and how they've impacted you, who would they be? So he lists his five. I list my five. And we're in the process of checking off our list, having a good game of catch with someone. That's just a fun way to be like, here's how you've impacted my life. And I wanted you to know that. And then I'm having them, we're both having them sign our, sign our baseball. So I'll have all five of that's them. Cool. Isn't that a fun thing? That That is a fun thing. I had no idea that there was a guy, but it makes sense though, that it'd be somebody on the East coast because, you know, New York, uh, Philly, uh, all, all the people on the East coast, they're, they're just huge fans. Yeah. And it would make sense that somebody from, from uh one from that area would uh would would do that and so i guess they every day he would play catch with somebody for yeah like he started with his daughter i think and Mm -hmm. then he had a few people in mind and he did relatives part of it it was just right after covid and he wanted to reconnect with people without them you know it's it's a way to social distance and still get together who was the old pitcher he had to send a snail mail to oh yeah the old phillies uh Yankees pitcher. I can't remember his name right now. Yeah. Barra? No, it was, he actually caught with Barra's grandkids, Yogi Bear's okay. grandkids. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. On there. Yeah. Oh, wow. I don't, I don't remember. But this pitcher is yeah. 96 years old now. And he yeah. threw it. He's them. like the yeah. fifth oldest. So, oh, okay. Anyways, yeah. Such a fun thing to do. So, you know, we don't live yeah. too far from you. Don't be surprised if we show up for a game of catch. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there's nothing like playing catch. I, I've always loved to play catch. And yeah. Yeah. Such a such a f- easy fun thing to do. It really is. And he he made a point of asking like what's your favorite ballpark food? And his whole goal was to get to know the other person. You know, we had a different goal in mind for ours, but you know, there's always good things happen when you just play catch. Yeah. <laughs> show up. Yeah. Yeah. So now that you you apparently have found there's no tumbleweed in Texas or there is, it's just not wow. open around the Metroplex. What does the DFW community mean to you and the Texas Rangers? I mean, now you're you're a Texas guy. 
Well, the the fans were always great to me. I I, I was just uh, it was uh, God had a calling in me in getting me to Texas, and uh, and the route that I took to get here was not uh, a normal route, and uh, so many things could have happened where I never would have been uh, here at all, and uh, but uh, this was uh, the place that I was supposed to be, the place I played. The fans were were terrific. I've raised, uh, all of our kids have been raised and gone to school here in Texas. We still live here and this is, uh, this is home. So it's obviously meant a lot to us to, uh, make this home and stay here. And, and, um, and we love Texas. I mean, something you probably didn't know, um, the branding of Texas, I actually had something to do with when Nolan became president, we worked together in the front office Hmm. for six years. And uh, when he was here, I said, Nolan, we, we should do something with Texas because you represent Texas. Mm-hmm. And Texas is, is we're, we're the only ones, baseball player, baseball team in the state of Texas that has Texas in it. Because up until then, it was everything was Rangers most of the time. Oh, yeah. So we started, we started marketing Texas. So <laughs> Nolan took it. He liked it. He took it to the to MLB and they liked it. And so we started uh using a lot more texas uniforms and then they started having texas uh apparel and it kind of exploded and so and so um uh that was something that i was able to do when i was in the front office yeah that's so neat. That's great. And all Texans are proud to be Texans. That's right. Even if yeah. Somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is there another place to live? Come on. No, there's That's not. For real. That's the truth. <laughs> there's not. Well, we are just so thankful that you took time out of your Labor Day weekend to have a little chat with us. And uh, I know that you had to mark out time on your calendar. So we appreciate it. Spending time with Hardy Party Five and a Half and like I said, don't be surprised if we show up for a game of catch sometime. <laughs> yeah. Well, Becca and Scott, I, I enjoyed a lot. I appreciate you all. And it was fun. And uh, come on by. Yeah, we will. <laughs> okay. Or maybe you should come play co-ed softball with us. I don't know if you can yeah. hit a lob pitch. Have you ever tried to hit a lob pitch? It's not easy. I've no, tried it. you gotta, tried you got to like count to 10. Like Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it goes way up in the air. It and you got to try to time it as it comes down and through. That's right. It's not easy. It is not easy. But I don't play anymore. I don't squat. I don't think he's going to do it. He's not going to do what? He's not going to sub on our co-ed team. I don't think so. I think his playing days are behind him. But what if we we just had him at another position? Or even just like just hitting. And then maybe had a runner for him. I mean, that's what I just let him do. I don't know. There's not many people like a Michael Jordan or a Tom Brady that come back. You know what I mean? Like they put so much work, sweat and tears into the stuff that. But when you say come back for them, you're talking about to like something importantly hard and major. This is, this is a fun, fun time on a Monday night for one hour. It's a really, it's really hot and sweaty in Texas, but it is a fun time. I know we'll have to talk to his people and we'll have to get back to think us. about it. If we're in need of a player, we'll I would out. say the chances are slim. Oh, you're probably right, but we can work on that. Yeah, well, his interview was super awesome. He's like I said, it's like talking to a good friend, it's I like love- sitting down, like you're sitting at the game and you're talking to a friend while the game's going on. I totally love watching you geek out on statistics. I know, and what's amazing about and I, I meant to mention to him is. When you and even normal guys will remember what happened in a Did game. Did you just call yourself not normal? 
No, I'm normal. I, oh, you're normal. I'm ocean okay. for myself. Mm-hmm. Like people that aren't professional athletes. Mm-hmm. When we have, so- I do it less now than I used to. But when I was younger, I remember everything that happened in six games ago. But it was, it's so amazing with professional players. And I think it's one reason they're so good is he was remembering stuff from 40 or 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you could see in his eyes that he was back in that play in that mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. And I think like if you look at LeBron or Tom Brady and just the, the guys like Jim that make it to the top level, yeah, they just have a memory and a feel for the game that like normal people don't have. Yeah. And it's just so cool for him to go back to that Ferguson Jenkins game and mm-hmm. like, oh, this is what he was pitching. Yeah. And the Burt Blyleven game, which is in 1977. Mm-hmm. And he's like, we stuck with curveballs because it was working. <laughs> and it's just, it's so fun to see. You could see in his eyes he was going back to that. Yeah. And it's so cool to see That's that. so cool. Yeah. I thought it was a great interview. Yeah. Yep. And we love the Rangers no matter, we are diehard Ranger fans, no matter what happens. No matter what happens. And one day that's going to pay off, Rebecca. <laughs> you sure? I think so. All right. Well, we hope so. I think there's a better chance of the Rangers going to the World Series again and winning than Jim Sundberg playing on our softball team. Uh, I think you're probably right. <laughs> <I> think so. <laughs> that was a that was a knife to the heart, babe. Sorry, babe. <laughs> Just trying to be real. Okay. <laughs> well, we hope you enjoyed this interview with Jim Sundberg. He's such a great guy. Makes you proud to be a Texan. That's right. <laughs> and a baseball fan. Party party five and a half. Over and out. Go Rangers. <laughs>